Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mwella. But we are going to finish. Today is the last of our sermon series. I want you guys to just give yourselves a round of applause for being in this sermon series for the last eight weeks. Eight weeks ago, we started this sermon series called I Am Jesus. And what we've been going through is the gospel of John. And we've been studying the I Am sayings of Jesus. And there are seven of the sayings that are, um, there are seven of the I Am sayings in the gospel of John. Um, This morning, we are going to go over number seven of seven, and it's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 1. And, of course, you can open up your Bibles, and we'll obviously have it up here for you as well. And you can stay there because we'll stay in John 15. But Jesus says this in John 15, verses 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I'm going to say that again. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Now, before we kind of dive or delve into the chapter, I kind of want to share one last time the big picture of the book of John. Now, a couple of things to note about the book of John. John's gospel is separated into two sections. The gospel of John is separated into two sections. The first section is chapters 1 through chapters 12, and that section is known as the book of signs. Chapters 1 through 12 is known as the book of signs, and where we get the word signs from is just another term that John gives to miracles. So in John, miracles are synonymous with signs. Why does John call them signs and not miracles? Well, he calls them signs because he believes that these miracles point to something greater than themselves. A sign doesn't point to itself. A sign sign points to something greater. And so John calls miracles signs. And the first 12 chapters of John is called the book of signs. And inside of the book of signs, five of the I am statements um, are contained there. So if you remember, we talked about the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the door. And then Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And he also said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, John is split up in two sections. The second section is chapters 13 through 20. And this is called the book of glory. And the reason why this is called the book of glory, because the last chapters of John actually follow Jesus in his last week of his life. And anytime you hear in John Jesus saying that I'm about to be glorified, what he's referring to is his crucifixion on the cross. So that second section of John is called the book of glory. And in the book of glory, there are two I am statements. The first one we talked about last week, which is I am the way, the truth, and the life. So I mean, like the <laughs> and then this morning, number seven is contained inside of the book of glory. And it's she is saying that I am the true vine. Now, within the book of glory, which is literally the last six, maybe uh, last 
seven chapters of John, within the book of glory, there are two divisions. The first division is called the farewell discourse. And this is Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, literally having a conversation with the disciples hours before he's going to go on trial hours before he's going to be betrayed, and hours before he's going to be crucified. And then, of course, the book of glory not only um, includes, the, uh, includes the farewell discourse, but it also includes the passion narratives, which is many of you are familiar with the passion of Christ, which is his crucifixion walk. Now, Jesus declares himself to be the true vine in front of his disciples right before he's rejected and murdered in the hands of the Jewish community. We can look at chapters 13 through 17, not just as Jesus' farewell to his disciples, but as a cleansing and an instructing of his disciples. Jesus is cleansing and instructing his disciples before he leaves earth. Now, keeping this in mind, this morning we're going to break this message down, and I love threes, as many of you know. We're going to break it down into three sections this morning. The first section is the true vine. The second section is the true believer. And the third section is true joy. So true vine, true believer, and true joy. After true joy, we will conclude this morning's message. So if you're ready to go, let's get in our Bibles. John chapter 15, we're going to read verse 1 through 4, and we are going to touch on the true vine. John 15, 1 through 4, Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now let's pause there. In the opening phrase, of this chapter, Jesus attaches the word true to his I am statement. Jesus is not just a vine, but he says that he is the true vine. Now, the word true is an indication that there is a contrast being made. If Jesus is the true vine, then how many of you know there must be a corrupt vine somewhere? If Jesus is the true vine, then there must be a compromised vine somewhere out there. Now, the disciples, when they heard Jesus say that he is the true vine, they no doubt recognized this metaphor based on Old Testament history. Now, I'm going to assume that some of us in here today aren't familiar with Old Testament history. So when we hear the true vine, we're like, oh, that's cute. But when the disciples heard the true vine, something triggered in their minds to go back to the Old Testament. Now, centuries before Jesus uses the word vine here, God himself uses this metaphor in the book of Isaiah and in the book of Psalms. So in order for us to grasp all that this statement has, we have to go back and look at where this word or where this metaphor was originally came from. 
So let's do that together. We're going to open up to several different scriptures, but let's go back together in the Old Testament and just try to look at the context in which the word vine emerges. Now, the first place I want to go to is found in the book of Psalm chapter 80, and we're going to read verse 8 through 16. Again, you can follow along. And Psalm 88 through 16 says this, You brought a vine out of Egypt. This is the prophet Isaiah. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep roots and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Now, I want you to know there's going to be a shift here. Now, here's the shift. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. And for the son whom you made strong for yourself. I'm sorry. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine. The stock that your right hand planted. And for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire and they have cut it down. Now, this psalm is a lament. It's, a, it's the crying of Israel. It's a lament from the heart of the prophet Isaiah because Israel is experiencing God's judgment. The psalmist is saying, God, you planted this nation, but now you've turned away from it. And because you no longer tend to it, wild beasts and pluckers come to destroy it. The plea of the psalmist is for God to return to his vineyard that he planted and to save it. Now let's look at Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. And it reads like this. This is Isaiah. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. And planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed it, hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes instead. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, Why did it yield wild grapes? And now I'll tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I'll make it a waste, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Now look. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are at his pleasant planting. Hear me out. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, outcry. 
where the psalmist laments on behalf of the nation, Isaiah speaks on behalf of God. Do you guys catch that? And we're told that the reason why God abandons his vineyard was because instead of producing good fruit, the vineyard produced wild grapes. Historically, here's how this metaphor works. God delivered the children of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. Amen? He guided them through the wilderness, and in the wilderness, he gave them supernatural provision. He gave them water out of a rock and angel's food. That's pretty supernatural. God planted this landless nation in the promised land or in Canaan. And he protected them with his presence and his power. Now here's the crazy part is he also gave them his beautiful law. And in the law, it informed their minds and it guided their behavior, ensuring that they would stand out as a light among the Gentile nations which practiced immorality and absurd idolatry. But instead of ripe grapes that produced a good taste, this vineyard that God had planted, that he had set up perfectly, produced wild grapes, bitter and unsweetened. Now, what does that look like? It looks like this. Israel, their commerce was riddled with lying and cheating. They exploited the poor. They abandoned the widows and their families. Their social life was wrought with immorality and unfaithfulness. Husbands were unfaithful to their wives. Even their religious system was hollow, featuring rituals and sacrifices that were devoid of sincerity. With all of this in mind in the Old Testament, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. God's answer to Israel's failure is Jesus. Jesus begins this conversation not just by calling himself the vine, but in a very real sense he's saying, I am the true Israel. I'm the true son of the father. And I will be the one who will bring forth the kind of fruit that Israel forgot to bring forth. The fruit that I will bring is good grapes because Israel has brought on wild grapes. Now, if you look at the story of Jesus, particularly in the birth narratives, many of you may know that when he was born, there was a threat to kill him. Herod sent out a threat. You guys remember that. And in that threat, an angel appears to Joseph and warns Joseph to leave. And so Joseph, amen, where are the men of God in here? Joseph takes his family because Joseph was obedient to the spirit of the Lord. His family was saved. That will preach on a Father's Day. So Joseph takes his family and they flee to Egypt. And did you know that Jesus was in Egypt for a few years? And then Jesus comes out of Egypt And then Jesus steps into his ministry at the age of around 30. And in his ministry, Scripture tells us that he's baptized. And when he's baptized, the Bible tells us that the Spirit leads him where? Into the wilderness. And he's there for how long? 40 days. Now, if you don't know, that's an allusion to Israel. Israel went into Egypt. Then Israel came out of Egypt. And where did Israel go through? He went through the Red Sea, and in Scripture it tells us that when Israel went through the Red Sea, that was baptism. 
The entire nation was baptized. And then just like Jesus, he's baptized, and then where does he go? He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Israel goes through the Red Sea, and how long are they in the wilderness? 40 years. Are you with me? And so Jesus, when he says, I am the true vine, he says, Israel was like a really bad prototype. But the real deal is here. And Christ is the truer vine. Christ now redeems men and women. He invites them to be incorporated into himself like branches in a vine so that his life and his grace and his goodness and his power could circulate through them and so that there could be good fruit. This leads us to the second section of today's message, the true believer. John chapter 15, if you want to read along, verses 1 through 8 says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear, by, bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, the metaphor here is simple. Jesus is the life-giving vine, and Christians are those fruit-bearing branches that grow from that vine. Now, the Father tends to the vine, and how does he tend to the vine? He prunes those branches which produce fruits, and he throws away those branches which have withered and fallen off the vine. Now, there's three elements to a true believer. And I want you guys to get this. Three elements to a true believer. Pruning, abiding, and fruit. Pruning, abiding, and fruit. The way that I'm going to, the way that I'm going to explain those are in these three ways. First, healthy branches submit to the vine dresser's pruning. Number two, healthy branches abide in the true vine. And finally, number three, healthy branches produce good fruit. Let's start with the first. Healthy branches submit to the vine dresser's pruning. Notice what Jesus says. Notice the role of the vine dresser in verse two. He says, every branch in me that did not bear fruit, he what? Takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do? He prunes. Why? So that it can bear more fruit. So here you have it. The vine dresser takes away and he prunes. When the vine dresser takes away those branches, he takes away the ones that have withered and died. He takes away, he takes away the ones that produce no fruit. The purpose of having a vine is to bear fruit. Nobody buys a vine if the vine doesn't bear fruit. So it's no surprise that the first thing mentioned is the removal of unfruitful branches, 
or the removal of those who, who proclaim to be connected to Christ, yet show no evidence of that connection. Get ready. Seatbelts on. Boom. Here it comes. This is an illusion, an illustration maybe of the church, which we are told by Jesus, did you know that the church is made up of both wheat and tare? Did you know the church is made up of both goat and sheep? Like Israel, the church has people inside of it which make an outward profession of faith. They join the body of Christ outwardly, but their profession is not true. These imposters are rooted out by God himself or thrown away, eventually gathered to be burned. It's an allusion towards judgment or hell. Now, this is heavy. This warning is still true today. There are people growing side by side in the church as Christians that are really dead wood. That's what scripture tells us. You know what scripture tells us? He says inside, inside of the church there are wheat and tare. And the disciples say, well, why don't you remove the tare? And he says, I'm not going to do that because I may, I may, while removing the tare, I may actually destroy some wheat. So he allows them to grow together until the day of judgment. Now, the branches, they can deceive themselves sometimes. They can even deceive the person they're sitting next to, but they cannot lie to the father. The vine dresser knows what to inspect. You and I, we inspect all the wrong things. Oh, that brother's so, you know, they, he, he always this and that. And look at that. They're, so, they, they're just so gifted. We always look at gifts and we look at talents and how amazing they are and this and that. And God the Father is like, I'm not looking at what you look at. They can deceive. Here's the scary part. And this is the part that this goes out. I go out. This is like um, my heart goes out. There are some in here that are deceiving themselves. And when I said yes to be a pastor, I didn't just say yes to tickling your ear. I said yes to making sure I shepherd your soul in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're just, it's, and, there, and, man, and, there are, and so I don't mean this to make you, I, I think we live in a world where it's just, if it's not positive, don't say it to me. That's, that's not biblical. You want to know why? Because our father prunes. Listen to this. Those branches which produce fruit. We got a lot of happy branches in here. And y'all are producing some good fruit. But the vine dresser comes around and says, oh, you know what? I'm going to cut you up a little bit more. Wait a minute. Like, I'm doing good. Have you ever said that? Man, I've been doing good, Lord. I'm doing great. I feel like I'm praying. I'm reading my word. I'm producing good fruit. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm checking everything. Why is this hurt so bad? And you immediately think you're in trouble. You immediately think everything. But you know what? You don't know your word. Scripture says if you're going to produce fruit, the vine dresser is going to come around and cut a little more. The branches, he cuts and prunes the branches which produce fruit. The word that's used for prune is the same word that's used for cleanse. Now listen, when a vine dresser prunes... He'll take a sharp knife, amen, and he'll drastically cut away all the excessive growth. He'll cut so much, listen, that to the untrained eye, he might appear to be devastating the branch. He might appear to be destroying the branch. But in fact, 
far from destroying it, the drastic pruning redirects the energies and the nutrients of the vine. Is anybody in here? So that in the next season, amen, instead of producing more showy foliage, they turn themselves into larger, sweeter, and more numerous bunches of grapes. I wish there were some Pentecostals in this house today. I know we're non-denominational, but every once in a while I wish there were a little bit in here. Somebody needs to hear this today. Our heavenly father, our heavenly vine dresser allows pain. Amen. He allows sorrow. He allows persecution. He allows suffering. He allows trials. He, he allows those things to educate and to train. And if need be, discipline. So that he can conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Understand, a true believer... Suffering and going through trial. Understand this, to a true believer, suffering and trials and pain, they serve the purpose of pruning and the purpose of producing larger fruit. Now, here's a, here's a check. Are you ready? But to a false convert, that same suffering and same trial will literally weed them out of the body of Christ. You know the parable of the sower? He sowed seed, right? Some fell on the thorny place. You guys remember the story? Some fell on a shallow place where the fowl of the air picked it up. And do you remember as Jesus is describing to the disciples what some of these seeds are going through, he describes a particular seed that begins to grow in the beginning, but then all of a sudden it's destroyed. And he equates it to people who hear the word of God and say yes and amen, but when suffering or trial come, they abandon. And maybe it's not suffering or trial. What about when an angel of light comes your way and he gives you the right smile and she says the right thing? Because I know some believers, it ain't suffering and trial. It's too much pleasure that got you going the wrong way. You're feeding your flesh. Bunch of wild grapes. <laughs> Some of y'all, your grapes are too wild in the club. You need to go home. Go home and water your grapes in the right place. Amen? All right. Hide your grapes. We got some single men in here, and they don't need to be, hide those. I know, right? Some of you are not going to come back to church. That's okay. You weren't a church. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> But I am being podcasted. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Edit that out, Mark. But you know what's really crazy is to a true believer, cutting away helps them grow. To a false convert, cutting away, actually, they, they tail it for the road. Well, see, Jesus wasn't there for me. I tried that thing. It didn't work. Well, who told you that Jesus was here for your comfort? Who preached to you a message that said, you know what, it's all about you, honey. Uh, you came to Jesus, it's going to be okay. He just, you know, when he died on the cross and everything, so that you could have a great life because this life is so important. Who preached that message to you? Not here. I told you you should think with eternity in mind. Some of you are thinking with earth in mind. You're satisfying the flesh so that your, your short amount of time on this earth can feel so good. Jesus says, don't you know eternity is a lot longer than here? And that while you're on this earth, you only have a small amount of time to put your faith and trust in me. 
And if it hurts, it's okay. You're being pruned. But if you walk away when the vine dresser is beginning to cut some things, then most likely he's rooting you out. And so I would say to you this morning, don't deceive yourself. And if you feel yourself walking away because you've been getting cut, I would say graft yourself back into the vine. You're a wheat and you're not a tear. Tell yourself that. God, I'm a, I'm a sheep. I'm not a goat. Number two, healthy branches, they get pruned so they can cut off, cut off all my showy foilage. You know all that stuff that looks, that's, I, look, I look full, but there's no fruit on it. Cut all of that stuff off. I ain't trying to be a show. I ain't trying to come to church and be a show. It's not a show. Number two, healthy branches abide in the true vine. Jesus said in verse five, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, that, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, he can do nothing. I want you to hear this. The key to fruit bearing for the true believer is pruning and abiding. Pruning and abiding. The key to true fruit bearing for a true believer is pruning and abiding. The word abide is mentioned 10 times in 11 verses. In fact, in verse 4 alone, it's mentioned four times. You notice that when you read it, it's like abide, 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 abide. If you abide, I'll abide. If we can abide, we all abide. Abide. Now, when a teacher repeats himself, usually that's going to be on the test. I mean, I'm just saying, maybe he's giving you a, there's a test coming. Maybe he's like, look, I've, but you didn't tell me, Lord. It's like abide. Pruning it and abiding. Write that down. And remember the, remember the glory of of the branch. Remember, the fruit of the branch is for the glory of the Father. It's, we're not here for you. You're here for the glory of the Father. Healthy branches abide. The word abide, it actually means to stay or to remain continuously. To abide in Christ is to experience an unbroken fellowship and personal communion with him. Are you with me? We accomplish this by a steady diet of God's word. Living a life of prayer and submitting to the work and the will of God in our lives. Consider what Jesus told the disciples in verse 3. He said, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to. Our pruning and abiding is contingent upon the indwelling of his words in our hearts. Remember the disciples, they believed Jesus was Messiah from the start. But at first and for many months that followed, they had a very distorted understanding of what his methods and purposes were. I don't know if you guys remember, but John and James wanted to call fire down on a Samaritan village. They didn't receive Jesus, and Jesus was walking away, and John's like, so should we call fire down on it? Like you did back in, you know, to, like you did back in the day to Sodom and Gomorrah, let's call fire down. Can you imagine that? Jesus looking at him like, wait, do you not know who I am? The fire now or later? Should we call it or should you call it? And then when the fire comes out, can we sit right here and just watch? Like what a distorted understanding. And Jesus didn't look at him and say, you goats. Like I'm going to die for them. No, no, no. They, remember, they knew he was Messiah, but they, as they walked with him, they were, they were progressively understanding all that he was. The disciples were tripping when Jesus just canceled out all the Old Testament food laws. It's like, wait, wait, wait a minute. We can eat 
little chicharron. Wait, we can't do that. That's a pig, don't you know? And so they were just always questioning, wait, what are you doing? Peter often contradicted Jesus. I'm going to go and give my life up. You will never give your life up. Can you imagine Jesus, like or Peter, like what kind of leader did he feel like to be able to look at the Savior of the world and say, no, nah, you're wrong. That's not how it's going to go down. He's done that multiple times. He's telling Jesus, you're making a mistake. But despite these misunderstandings, Jesus, amen, patiently and consistently instructed them. Jesus Look, listen, here it is. You ready? This is good. Here, Jesus cleansed away their false concepts and misconceptions. He cleansed away their ignorance and their worldly mindedness by washing them in his words. Even today, we need to allow the word to continue to prune and cleanse us of our false ideas. To encourage the growth of a biblical mind. If we're going to behave the way that pleases God and rightfully represent him in the world. As easy as this may sound, Christians have often found it difficult to stay put in Christ. Our temptation today is to think that while Christ and his words were sufficient for the apostles and the early church, they no longer are applicable to us today. Number three, healthy branches produce good fruit. Amen. She has said in verse 8, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And I love he, and then he added this, and prove that you're my disciples. Your fruit is evidence that you are my disciples. Our goal is, or is food. I'm sorry. Our goal is fruit. Our proof is fruit. Our God is glorified when we display good fruit. So what is God looking for? What is this fruit that seems to be, um, uh, seems to be spoken of everywhere? What is this fruit? Well, there, I want to give you four steps to good fruit production. Four steps to good fruit production. Number one, we've been saying it, abide. If you want to produce good fruit, abide. Like mentioned earlier, abide is to dwell, to live continuously. The word abide is mentioned 10 out of 11 verses. And it stands for a believer's continual immersion in the word of God and devotion in prayer. Men of God, you got a devotion. Abide in that. By, ad, um, by abiding in God's word, guess what happens? Our minds begin to change. Our minds begin to change. And then guess what happens next? Number two. When you abide in his word, your minds begin to change, and all of a sudden you become more what? Aware. As we focus on God's word, that word begins to renew our minds, and we become aware. Hear me out. And we become aware of our faults in our personalities. <laughs> we got a lot of faults in our personalities. We become aware of our faults and our personalities, those faults that limit our fruitfulness, those faults that limit our ability to connect with others, those faults that limit our faithfulness. You know, I can tell somebody's been dwelling in the word because their mind begins to become renewed, they're aware, and they begin to do things differently. I was having a great conversation with Christopher the other day about discipleship. And I, I, I said, I fear that there are some people, even people who have been attending church for years, I fear that we take for granted some things in discipleship and we think today that it's optional. And I can tell you're not abiding in your word. 
It's not optional. Some things we think is an option is not optional to be a healthy disciple producing fruit. But for some reason, we've gotten our head because we've been wounded or we've been hurt. Or we've gotten our head because we're not exposed to the word, however it's happened, that it's just optional. We're, you know, we're in America and our culture today. Like there's just certain things, man, you know, we don't, I just can't do that. It's not an option. Maybe that's the way I feel. But, we, but when you do abide in his word, thing, you become more self-aware. And you know what begins to happen? A spirit of repentance takes a hold of you. You start, you start becoming a humble person. And then number, number three, the spirit of repentance comes in. And it's only in humility that we can now ask the vine dresser to come and remove those wild grapes and that showy foliage. And guess what? The more fruit will emerge from his glory. Keep in mind, this is important. Keep in mind, we are not allowed to dictate how the vine dresser will remove the fruit or the foliage. Because we may find that he chooses an unexpected or a painful method. We cannot tell the vine dresser, okay, I'm ready for pruning, Lord, but look, just don't do it that way. We can't tell the vine dresser, look, ouch, that hurts. Can you go? No, we cannot tell the vine dresser how to prune. All we can say is, yes, Lord, prune. We can't dictate how to prune. Nor are we allowed to dictate how long the pruning takes. He may choose an unexpected or a painful method. And he may also choose to take a long time. You know, I was thinking, are we not to suppose that our habits and complexities and dysfunctions are unhealth? Are we to suppose that he's going to take that away in an instant? Those things that have been ingrained in us over years and years of pain, and with that all of a sudden the, the, the vine dresser is going to come in and cut one thing, and you're just not you're going to be a new person. We are not to dictate how he cuts, where he cuts, or how long he cuts. We are simply say, Lord, I submit to your pruning. And lastly, if we submit to the process, we will what? Bear good fruit. You know, good fruit is evidence that Christ is in us and that we are in Christ. It's the kind of ed- evidence that people can taste. You know, fruit was meant to be tasted, right? I know some of you like to throw it, but fruit was meant to be, to be tasted. Has somebody ever tasted some of that stuff that's coming out to you? <laughs> kind of weird. How about that, that attitude? Or the way you walk or the way you talk, the way you carry yourself or what comes out when you're stretched and when you're pruned. Most likely your husband or wife has probably been tasting that fruit. I take that back. There's two ways we can see if you have bad fruit, the vine dresser or your spouse. Where's my wife? She with the kids right now? She's not in here. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now watch. By abiding in God's word, we learn the difference between good grapes and wild grapes. 
Some of you probably keep asking, okay, what is it? What is it? Here it is. Galatian, chap- Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Here's what wild grapes look like. Are you ready? It reads like this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality is wild grapes. Impurity and sensuality is wild grapes. Idolatry and sorcery is wild grapes. Enmity, strife, and jealousy is wild grapes. Fits of anger, rivalries, and dissensions are wild grapes. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild grapes. Orgies and things like these are all wild grapes. None of these things in which a true believer should be showing evidence of. What is good fruit, Pastor Phil? Well, Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23. Let's hurry up and move there. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness, even when you're on the freeway. Lord, I need some grapes. Some of you are throwing up some wild grapes. One big wild grape. I need some grapes in that area. It's faithfulness, it's goodness, it's gentleness, it's self-control. Mr. I can't control myself. Against these things, there's no law. In other words, no one's going to arrest you, sir. You're being kind today. I'm going to throw you in jail for this. Against these things, there's no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we're going to conclude this morning with true joy. Listen to the words of Jesus. In verse 11 of chapter 15. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. I'm not talking about partial joy every once in a while joy but this is a full joy you know a lot of times I I put up a proverb in the beginning of this week and it said be careful not to envy a sinner a lot of times we look at the Facebook post the Instagram post Snapchat post whatever the things that you're doing these days (laughs) map quest that was last week (laughs) that was last week but we, we tend to look at everyone's puzzle. We just see this joy. And then you fall into this place of beginning to envy the position of the sinner. And you look at yourself, and you may be going through a pruning season, and you mistakenly think that being with God is somehow this ridiculous thing or somehow, I just, you know what, I wish I could be like them. Be careful you don't envy sinners because I'm going to tell you something. What you see is not what you get. There is no joy in sin. No joy in it. No joy in sin. Be confident in this. No matter how long or how painful, when there is fruit, no matter how long or how painful that resulting fruit gives credit to the vine dresser. And in return, we shall have joy knowing that we cooperated with the vine dresser in achieving his glory. I'm here to tell some of you today, there is more joy in giving him glory than glorifying ourselves. 
Because when we produce good fruit, we shall also experience the joy of realizing that our fruit bearing demonstrates that we are genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. And there is no greater joy than knowing that Jesus is yours and you are his. No better joy. There's no better joy than laying my head at night and knowing all is right with my soul. That if I were to leave tonight, I don't got to, well, maybe let me, let me weigh my good works. Did I do good for that? I don't got to worry about that. I destroyed that thing. There is no hesitation in my heart when I go and pray, knowing that if something were to happen to me, I will be with Jesus. Because of that, I walk with joy, true joy. And as we conclude this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 20. And read 9 through 18. Now I'm going to need to borrow someone's Bible because I recognize I didn't bring my Bible up here. So if somebody can go there for me. Luke chapter 20, 9 through 18. It might even be written up there. That's why we have technology, right? Amen to that. Praise the Lord. Chris, can you help me out real quick and just bring this stand down? You guys know, uh uh-oh, when I go down here, it's going to be another 20 minutes. I promise it's going to be just a... I want to conclude this morning with a parable found in Luke chapter 20, 9 through 18. Now, this is an interesting parable because Jesus gives this parable the last week of his life in Jerusalem. And he's speaking this parable literally to the people that are going to crucify him at the end of the week. Jesus says this, and he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard. Uh Uh-oh. I mean, this morning in this short amount of time, all of you already know where it's going. Jesus says, a man planted a vineyard and let it out to, and lent it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. So in other words, a man planted a vineyard. He, took, he gave it over to his tenants and he went away from the vineyard for a long period of time. And it says this, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him, sent him away empty-handed. Let's continue to read. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Let's continue. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? He says, I know, I'll send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Jesus poses this question. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? The night Jesus declared himself to be the true vine was the same night before he would be betrayed by his own people. Israel, the corrupt vine, was about to display its wild grapes in one of the most horrific ways. The owner of the vineyard had now sent his son to collect the fruit that was due to him. And the tenants of that vineyard were about to take that only son, thrust him out of the vineyard, and murder him. Now what would the owner do? Would he abandon his grape-growing project altogether? Absolutely not. Listen, the owner resolved to grow even more grapes and even sweeter grapes, not just in Israel but throughout the whole world. But to do so, and here comes the secret, he was going to use a different vine. 
He was going to use a different method of cultivation. And something different was going to be produced. I need to say that again. What was the owner going to do? Was he going to abandon his grape growing project altogether? No, absolutely not. The owner resolved to grow even more grapes, even sweeter grapes. Not just in Israel, but throughout the whole world. The vineyard was going to expand. But to do so, here's the secret. He was going to use a different vine. A different way of cultivating and something different would be produced. Now watch. This new vine is not the nation of Israel and it's not the New Testament church. Some people preach that this new vine is the New Testament church. I hope it's not the New Testament church because if you've read the New Testament church throughout history, we've done some very grotesque things. The New Testament, the church has done some things. But here's, here's God's answer. God's answer to Israel's failure was not the Christian church, but it was Christ himself. The vine that was Israel certainly failed. But Jesus said, I am the true vine. And if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll produce fruits. And that fruit will give glory and honor to God. And we'll end here and then we'll pray. Israel was supposed to give glory to God. The nations around Israel were supposed to look at Israel and say, wow, they're different. They don't do things the same. They don't practice grotesque idolatry. Their immorality is not overrunning them. They take care of their widow. If you notice, the the, uh, scripture says in Isaiah chapter 5, he says this, you produce wild grapes, you produce injustice. And right now in America, there's injustice. And the church should be standing up for that. I'm going to get political just for a moment. But when Jesus looks at his church, he doesn't expect us to stay silent when there's racial injustice. See, I want you to know there's, there's no trick to this thing. When God looks down, he wants us to take care of the widows. He wants us to take care of the orphans. He wants us to love the lost. He wants us to be a light. He wants us to be a place where people could come. He said, when I looked at Israel, there were none of those things. They oppressed the poor. They cheated. They stole. They were racist. Do you know Israel was racist? And so with the true vine, the new vine, God is going to produce new branches And these new branches were going to produce good fruit. And the vine dresser was going to prune them. But if they continued to abide and allow the vine dresser to prune, they would produce good fruit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your word, for its truth, its light. It shines light in dark areas. Your scripture says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word can prune and cut. Your, your word can bring joy, unspeakable. Your word can give us direction, wise counsel. So, Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice. Two things this morning. Just right where you're at, just as you're contemplating, I just pray that you would, you would pray two things right where you're at. Lord, teach me to abide and teach me to submit to your pruning. 
Two things right now. Just right where you are. I'm not even going to pray it. In your own words, I want to abide and I want to submit to your pruning. The Lord might be speaking to some of you right now and say, hey, you're going through pruning right now. You're going through a little hurt season. Feel like you've been knocked down a little bit. Don't walk away from me. The father is walking around the vineyard and he is cutting the showy foliage. And if you'll let him, he'll produce something greater. Don't walk away. Stay right in the midst of his pruning. I'd rather be in the pruning season of God where he's cutting than in the company of sinners partying and full of false joy. I'd rather be in my bedroom, silently alone, crying of, because of loneliness and asking the Lord, when is this going to stop? Than in the company of sinners, displaying the flesh. So you just receive what he wants to give you right now. Father, I just pray for inspired church. Lord, even if you want to prune this church, Lord, even if teach us to abide as a church, have your way. Let your will be done. Lord, cut out the showy foliage in me and in all of us so that Union City may know the glory of God, so that Hayward may know the glory of God, so that Fremont may know the glory of God, so that the Bay Area may see the glory of God. The, the Bay Area would not see the glory of us or the name of our church, but that the glory of God would be lifted up. Lord, that Crown Plaza would feel the glory of God every Sunday that we're in here. So, Lord, we bless you, and I bless every father in this building. I thank you for them. I pray that you encourage them, honor them, but you would be with them as they submit to you and follow you through their devotion and their time with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspirechurches.com.